to the Line Break Podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Sakura. Hello. We are here, and today here. we are here, and today we have a guest. Hannah Let's go. Here. We are so excited. Hannah, welcome. Hi, I'm here. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so funny story about Hannah, um, when back in 2016 before <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> no way, that was 2016. That was 2016, 2016. I remember. No. Yeah, it was 2018. It was 2018. Yeah, I was in Chicago in 2018. That's 2018. Still before, while things were in the process of going to hell. Yeah. Um, we, we interviewed Hannah uh, in uh, the basement of a the podcast was out of date, so we're having Hannah back. <laughs> um, Nothing says podcast more like losing audio from four years ago. <laughs> That's probably a more accurate description, yeah. Uh, it took us like two years to get back on the horse at all, I think. Yeah, yeah. And me moving, literally not being near you yeah. anymore. <laughs> There's a lot going on back then. There's a lot going on now. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out, still crazy times. Uh, Bob, you wrote in your notes, Bob will probably read Hannah's bio, so I didn't do Hannah's bio research, so go ahead. Well, I got it pulled up. Let's go. <laughs> Hannah Cohen resides in Virginia with her two cats. She was eating her do. MFA. <laughs> oh, we're getting, the, we're getting the, um, uh, the DVD commentary of your bio right now. <laughs> this is actually the MST3K uh, bio. <laughs> Deep cut right there. Uh, that would be uh, than AWP, the MST3K AW uh, uh, line break. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> As I was saying, uh, Hannah received her MFA in creative writing from Queen's University of Charlotte That's and true. is the author of two poetry chapbooks, the <laughs> very, 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 very soon forthcoming Year of the Scapegoat and Bad Anatomy, both on Glass Poetry Press. Hannah is one of the co-founding editors of the online literary journal Cotton Xenomorph, which we like chant and which we like stop and root for every time we say the name. Absolutely. Publications. Are we going to stop and chant and do that now? Or are we going to do that later? I mean, it was it was uh, I was metaphorically chanting, but it's, we it's, could it's actually a chant in our hearts. Xenomorph is kind of hard to fit. Yeah. I guess it was also it was more about the fist pump, I think, which the uh, audience does not get to uh, experience. Yeah, audio. Um, you won't see me pounding my fists on the <laughs> desk, being like cotton. Do you know? They can hear it though. <laughs> uh, okay. I'll put reverb on it so it's extra big. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a chaotic podcast. I can already tell. Sorry, <laughs> no, it's not your fault. It's it's it the, it's it's the three of us and the mixture. Uh, you know, something like that. Uh, your publications include Hey Alma, Pigeon Holes, Q Lit Mag, The Offing, The Rumpus, Cherry Tree, Entropy, Drunk Monkeys, Glass, The Journal of Poetry, plus some others. Best in that finalist of 2018, Pushcart nominee, freelance editor for both private clients and independent boutique presses. And currently, I was going to say low key, but it's not low key at all. You're doing this very very well, and I hope more people Aww. get to see more stuff from it. Working on an essay collection revolving around early mid two thousands internet culture, along with half sort of drafts of novels and occasional poetry. Yeah, Hannah Cohen, really great poetry. Sometimes. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> You're already at the bio. I'm like, who is this person? I'm like, oh yeah, let's see. <laughs> I forgot. I'm like, oh shit. I'm We're really in our bios here. I'd forgotten about the essay <laughs> collection. It's like you got it honest. from my I, website. I read about it when you announced it, but I've forgotten. Now I'm excited again. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and you just had that essay um, on on fan fiction. Just got like I feel like replayed. Some replay is not the word at all, but got some new views. I'm assuming from someone reposting Rediscovered. it. Rediscovered. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Long reads, man. Uh, someone did like a whole rundown of like fanfic, fandom, internet culture essays, and they found mine. And then not too long ago, uh, Mimi Mimi Wong, I think, of the Offing, did a little blurb with poets and writers. And featured my essay again. Oh yeah, those like, are mm-hmm. big deal publications, man. Yeah, like, she, Lots she, and so many other people. Like the offing, I'm just, I love them forever. Just for the sure, amount of care. And I know this is a poetry podcast, but like that essay took literal months of like 
editing and revising and like just the amount of care and work that went into making that what it was like it's no way I could have done all that I just like spewed all of like <laughs> feeling on my page I'm like well here we go like ching. <laughs> you know? have fun digging through this and right but I guess that works with poetry too I've had I've definitely turned in things to workshop I'm like well I totally didn't you know well there's a there's a weird you know like cross genre you know kind of cultural cultural difference there of Mm -hmm. you know for the most part your poetry editor at a journal isn't gonna give you too much of that kind of feedback stuff but it's it's really nice to hear that about the offing because like obviously a very very cool publication Mm -hmm. um i know somewhere i would like i've looked up to and like that for me would absolutely be a dream dream publication um, and you know, you just don't always actually hear about places like that being so caring with the work that they're publishing. Unfortunately, I think that is a lot with nonfiction. I will say mm. though, um, way back in the old days, as you know, on the old internet, um, <laughs> one of my first poetry publications, Eloisa, you you know Eloisa, yeah, yeah, Eloisa Mesqua, she yeah. Mesqua, when she was uh, editing Shallow End, she was one of the first like poetry editors that actually like looked at the poem I sent and gave me some advice and accepted it. I'm like, wow. Yeah, Ooh, like that's really funny. <laughs> it's really funny. Same here with with my poem on there. She uh, she was like, "This this is good, but this ending, can you? Would this you think good, about doing this?" Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, she she just she had the right advice for the ending, and it, you know, it wasn't like changing it. It was just like, "Can you flip this? Like, what happens if we yeah. do that?" And I was like, "Damn, not that." It's so hard. I feel like, especially with poetry, like you you as when you edit, and I can speak to this, you know, with Cotton Xenomorph, like. A lot of times it, it it requires so much of you emotionally and I feel like mentally than like prose does. Like no mm. offense to prose writers as someone that has also written prose. <laughs> like I, I think there's just more like that prose gets more of the technical editing whereas poetry and even like hybrid, you know, lyrical works often have like you have to be like emotionally in that poem even if you're mm. editing, you know. Agreed. I completely agree. And it is, especially it is a, amazing. Uh, as as a as a as a bother, um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. It you, you have to get to a different place with poetry than you do with prose, and prose is, mm-hmm. for in my mind anyway, easier and more. Um, I'd say less taxing, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I totally totally hear where you're coming from. I should just put that in my bio. Hannah Cohen is a bother now. Forget <laughs> no, multimodal. You were bothering now. Sorry, I just. <laughs> Multi-genre, it's bother. Multi-genre, thank you. I'm like sitting here, I'm like, bother is the worst term, but I'm like, I actually can't think of a better one. We're going to tweet later being like, Hannah Cohen is a bother. Oh, man. I love that, though. Oh, yes, the bother movement. Oh, I'm, I'm writing a uh, I'm writing a Franco Aristotle manifesto tomorrow on botherism. Oh, <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> and on that note, uh, Hannah, why don't you read us a poem? Do you want me to now? Should I read the poem? Now I want yeah, you to read, you read the poem. The poem. <laughs> Do you want me the, yeah. the poem that I picked, Vislava Simborska? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. That's the poem you picked. That's our jumping out. That's what we're yeah. looking for. Okay, <laughs> that that Polish poet whose name I pronounced right, which will please all four of the Polish people listening to this podcast. Yeah, whoever, yeah. whoever else is Polish, not me, but every non-Polish person has always pronounced every Polish word right. I, I know from experience. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> It's um, actually W is pronounced both, you know? I don't know what I mean, but I did. Because I'm an MFA and I know stuff like that. I did not learn how to pronounce her name in my MFA, unfortunately. I just. um, It's called Google if you look it up. Anyway, so the poem I chose is Symborska's Under One Small Star. And I chose this one because I feel like it's a poem that I. There's a lot of poems that I kind of return to whenever there's, you know, hashtag life going on. But I feel like this poem in particular just kind of really encapsulates what it's like to like internalize the kind of the outer world inside you, as well as kind of 
reckoning with all these nebulous concepts of, mm. you know, feeling and, and emotion and whatever, you know, all those big words. But I'll read it now. My apologies to chance for calling it necessity. My apologies to necessity if I'm mistaken, after all. Please don't be angry, happiness, that I take you as my due. May my dead be patient with the way my memories fade. My apologies to time for all the world I overlook each second. My apologies to past loves for thinking that the latest is the first. Forgive me, distant wars, for bringing flowers home. Forgive me, open wounds, for pricking my finger. I apologize for my record of minuets to those who cry from the depths. I apologize to those who wait in railway stations for being asleep today at 5 a.m. Pardon me, hounded hope, for, for laughing from time to time. Pardon me, deserts, that I don't rush to you bearing a spoonful of water. And you, falcon, unchanging year after year, always in the same cage, your gaze always fixed on the same point in space, forgive me, even if it turns out you are stuffed. My apologies to the felled tree for the table's four legs. My apologies to great questions for small answers. Truth, please don't pay me much attention. Dignity, please be magnanimous. Bear with me, O oh mystery of existence, as I pluck the occasional thread from your train. Soul, don't take offense that I've only got you now and then. My apologies to everything that I can't be everywhere at once. My apologies to everyone that I can't be each woman and each man. I know I won't be justified as long as I live, since I myself stand in my own way. Don't bear me ill will speech, that I borrow weighty words, then labor heavily so that they may seem light. Whew. That always gets me. That's a poem. That, that is, is a poem. poem. And I, I specifically chose that one, because I feel like that's one of the poems that I really tend to like think about language and think about like those overreaching apologies where you're trying to apologize for concepts that you try to mm. write about. Um, yeah. Especially cause it is kind of like a poem's poem, especially with those last two lines of like taking words in those weight, you know, whether it's you know, syllabic or whatever, and then like trying to make it seem tidy and neat by the poem's end. And I'm just like, oof, you know, knife and heart just, <laughs> Yeah, because it I starts mean, so out with... Her, so many of her poems are so good. But that one, I just... That's the one I feel like language especially just... Uh, just really takes me. And I think that's, like, what I'm writing towards a lot. Like, a lot of the poems... When I think about subjects that are near and dear to me, it's like, how do I keep writing about this shit, right? Like, why am I still writing the same poem? And I just look at that poem. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's all kind of... It's all inconsequential but also important in a way so, yeah because it starts out with like such big concepts and then like mm -hmm. right there in the middle like really drills into like nitty-gritty imagery like really like visceral stuff and then goes back out into you know sorry for the weightiness and sorry for all this and uh for using heavy words or whatever the line is i don't mm -hmm. have the poem in front of me but um yeah it kind of <laughs> like do conveniently <laughs> you do it just it start it seems to start big and then narrow its focus and yeah. then address that at the end and i really like that move right it's it's such a powerful poem and i think also you have to keep in mind like it, i believe it's translated as well i don't think she wrote in English. Right. I was going to ask sure that. The Simborska yeah. stands are going to get on me being like, oh my god, Hannah just wrote a poem that was translated and didn't know. Like, and you're reading from a like, collected version. You were telling me about the book during our break. Yeah. Um, so that might, but probably does have like multiple translators in there, I imagine. Possibly. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that'd I'm, be... not, I'm not in class anymore. I'm not reading the bibliography <laughs> of things. <laughs> like, I mean, that'd be sweet sorry. to have like one consistent translator over a career, but I know mm. that doesn't always happen. Okay, yeah, there's two translators. It says translated from Polish by Stanislaw Baranciak and Claire Kavanaugh, and it did win the Penn Translation Prize in '96. So Dang, I imagine wow. it might be pretty um, good. I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is. Uh, exactly what you're saying there, but what it, what it reminded me when you're yeah kind of talking about the relationship between this poem and your own poem, um, and and I'm a little bit having this feeling with this poem because it is like so darn good, but like that is something of of like the great the poems that I really really love 
um, you know, like you're in awe of this and then you like think about it a little bit. You're like, wow, you just did all of the things I'm ever trying to do in one exactly. single poem. Yeah. <laughs> like, why am I still writing? <laughs> um, which is exactly, I don't know. I feel like Zamborska is a poet who, when I was a little bit more baby poet, I was like, wow, people keep, you know, like tweeting a poem or dropping this name and I am out of the loop and I need to get in a loop. And this is another poem pushing me to get greatest or not past the greatest hits into the big old volume that you have um, mm-hmm. because this rules. Sorry, that was too loud. Dial it back. Bob. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sure she appreciates bad. it from beyond wherever she is. She's like, uh-huh. oh, damn, someone really likes my work. <laughs> she said exactly that, by the way. She would say that in Polish. <laughs> and maybe you wouldn't completely understand it, but I think she would appreciate the sentiment. Um, yeah, that's, sen- that, that's Zimborska. That's my girl. I love her. Yeah. Do you have a first Zimborska memory or like an early one? <laughs> I know it's a hard question. I think probably, I th- again, we were kind of talking about this off air. <laughs> um, just discovering, I think either we read some of her work in undergrad in mm-hmm. one of my poetry classes, like contemporary, I guess, literature. And just, you know, like the internet, like going on post.org and finding poems and just kind of doing it the rabbit hole of like, well, if I like this poem, then I'll like this poem. Right. Um, but yeah. I don't have like a specific one. I just, I remember I was telling Bob that I found this at a used bookstore in my, my city and just like, nice. I just really loved the, the cover and yeah, it was a nice yeah. photo of her on the back. Hmm. Um, this is a, a side question, side question. This is what we do. We get further away from the poem and then eventually, uh, if you're if you are picturing a specific one, was this a good undergrad poetry class? Yeah, I think so. I had some pretty good. I have some pretty good classes. Okay, undergrad. that's good. I just feel like those can be very, a mixed bag. I mean, uh, uh, school as a whole is a very mixed bag. <laughs> Literature classes as a whole, some of them were not great. Right. But I feel like really discovering poetry at in college you know i feel like unfortunately the way that especially the american public school system is like they just beat it into you with all these you know older poems and i i I always liked poetry even as a kid but like you know you read poe you read you know wordsworth you read like kind of the more like some frost but you didn't really read like other contemporary poets and it's not until like college that you really get access to that Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say in high school I read poets I liked, but no one excited, no one who excited me, and then poets mm-hmm. I definitely disliked, kind of thing. <laughs> that's the way I, America teaches. I will say I think there's obviously like teachers who are like writers who are doing way better in the classroom, like bringing contemporary poets, and even poets of the past like 50, 60 years who may not be like old dead white dudes, you know. Right, right. Because <laughs> right. that seems it's, it's almost like our culture tends to focus on their works. I don't know, just a feeling. But um, <laughs> you might yeah. be onto something. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That could be a whole podcast, right? <laughs> no one's ever talked about that before. Well, we've got two perfect hosts for it, so yeah, but, a couple uh, of just... soon-to-be dead white dudes. Oh wow, <laughs> Chris is killing <laughs> us off mid-podcast. <laughs> That's some memento mori right there. That's some, some Keatsian bullshit, you know. Some breach and urn right there. <laughs> wow. Well, we um, we kind of got into the uh, the reason why, but um, let's move on to our next form question. What's the move in the poet for you, poem for you? What uh, what really uh, what really bowls you over every time you read it? Besides the whole, this is or what I want to do. Distant thing. wars. For bringing flowers mm, down. Just, yep. I think that's the line that I think grabs a lot of people, especially. Right. Um, Grab me. Yeah. And just again, this this allowance and this acceptance, but also this asking for forgiveness, because that speaks to me. Yeah. Personally, in a lot of my poems where I talk about like religion and like forgiving people for their actions and accountability, it's just like it's that kind of tug that I was looking for that keeps you know pulling me back and that's what keeps you in the poem it keeps you on to the next line and it's just like oh what else is what else is this poet gonna tell me that i'm just gonna be you know 
knocked over and, and then she keeps doing it man every, every yeah. one it's just like another another banger it's just completely every single you know set of like couplets i guess you know it's a, it's all in one stanza i guess but uh uh just every line is so good yeah that little forgive me distant wars section that that to me that that r- grabbed me right right away because it was it's that was the that was the big like mm-hmm. super concrete image, whereas you know everything else is um, memories and apologies for overlooking seconds and angriness and happiness and necessities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then it's like all of a sudden, out of you know, not out of nowhere, but just like bang right there. Forgive me, for distant wars for bringing flowers home. Mm-hmm. Just really, really, really. Hits. It's like what we you mentioned, Chris. It's the it's the micro and the macro. It's like yeah. bringing the big end yeah. and funneling it into this small personal moment. I don't know. Someone yeah. smarter than me is probably bringing about Zimborska. Like, you know. No. It hasn't happened. It hasn't yeah. happened. <laughs> I think you're, yeah, you're both kind of nailing this of this is a poem uh, on each read. I'm like, you're, you're, how are you, how are you playing with abstractions and such big ideas so well? Like, and multiple of them. Um, I don't know. I think I can picture myself writing a lot of, bad apology abstraction poems and this does it so well right uh all right bring us bring us back in the poem uh everybody needs to pick a word everyone needs to pick a word pick a word one single word from the poem i'm really into flowers right now and it's not that line i'm just really into flowers right now flowers Flowers. chris has got flowers i think damn it i don't know i was gonna i i might cheat and just be like Forgive, forgive mm, me, forgive for me. sure. Yeah, that's you know just such a good rounded word to like say out loud. For mm. it's like kind of soft, but then you have the g and then the v. You know, yeah. I'm bringing yeah. in sounds. I went to school. I could talk about yeah. that. Yeah, is that, absolutely. Is that acid? speaking about is that right? sounds? I'm gonna bring in a second word, and I'm gonna cheat. Word number two: minuets. Ooh. A light and cheerful dance form of classical music, if I remember my music education correctly. The minuets of those who cry from the depths is a hard juxtaposition, but I love the word minuets. Mm. So I'm cheating. Bob, what's your word? Uh, I think I'm just going to go with a Feld. I mm-hmm. love Feld tree. You know, I could not pull it off in a single poem ever to talk about a felled tree. <laughs> I support deforestation, Bob Sikora. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Every episode, Chris finds a way to just ram it home for our audience of four people um, how bad of a person I am. It's it's a really three nice... Three of them being Polish, actually. Three of those <laughs> audience members being Polish. Uh... How do you think we fund this podcast? Bob has Koch Brothers money. <laughs> Much like a certain journal that we all know about. <laughs> You know, I feel like there's so many that you could be referencing that I'm just like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's catapult. I'll name it. It's catapult. <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, you want that that right wing money? You want that rattle money? <laughs> just start just start reading ad copy for for Casper. What we said. Goodness. Well, we still got Hannah's poem, and I want to spend more time on Hannah's poem. So, shall we move oh. to our last question? Yes, let's do it. Yeah, what's going on beyond the page for you? What does this poem remind you of, make you think about, make you believe, make you excited about? You've already touched on a lot of this, but got asked the question. Wrap, I'll sum it up. I'll sum it up. Um, I think what really speaks to me about this poem is like how quietly defiant and both apologetic and unapologetic the the narrator voice speaker whatever the poet is when talking about these subjects you know you talk about like destruction you know making apologies to the table that was made out of this tree you know Mm -hmm. all the products of something that has to be cut down or pared away you know even with that forgive me distant wars for bringing flowers home you know it's the taking of something and trying to make it into something else something beautiful something personal and intimate and sometimes it's hard to do with concepts like that it's like is it it, this poem kind of for me grants me some 
ability to be like, I can write towards this. I can write about these things and it's all right. You know, Mm. I mean, the title of the poem was under one small star. And I think that really tells us like at the end of the day, it's all inconsequential. Right. But at the same time, it matters. And I think that's to me anyway, that's what Zimborska was getting at. Um, And that's what I, I think is kind of true about a lot of poetry is that it, it can be small, but it's, potent it's weighty but also weightless you know kind of referring to that the last lines so yeah it's just a really beautiful poem and it again it's one i keep returning to over the years and especially during these hashtag times that we live in it's very much a poem where it's like we live in a society (laughs) (laughs) but i mean that in the best way possible it is that kind of poem where you're just like yeah Oh, uh, what an answer. Uh, chills here from Defiant On. Uh, yeah. Hannah Cohen dunking all over this podcast right now. Uh, Just. Right. <laughs> um, maybe as a way to, to move us into her poem, into your own work. Um, oh God. That's right. I, I write poems. <laughs> I have work. <laughs> um. And this is hard. And I guess you were talking about trying to aspire to this a little bit, but is there any, anything you hope to reach for in Zabroska's work to bring into your own or ways that you have like tried to bring so anything? Funny, that she has? funny you say that the poem that I chose that I would like to read on this podcast kind of has some of that language or not language, but like it has some of that feeling and that kind of atmosphere. Um, right. And it's, it's a poem that I wrote years ago that has uh-huh. kind of stayed with me and I knew it was going to be in this, this second chat book, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, it's a poem that definitely is like kind of inspired. Well, not inspired. I don't know if I was inspired. Like I didn't sit down. I'm like, I'm going to write a poem after this, Sure. but it's just, it's definitely a, like the poem that I'd like to share is a culmination of like all of that kind of feelings of guilt and of mm. course, <laughs> you know, Judaism, but I don't really outright, it's not like outright stated in sure. the poem, but it is having like, you know, religion and faith and like the guilt one feels as like an older sibling. And mm. yeah, so there's, there's some, there's some echoes of it, I would say. Right on. Well, I mean, I guess that means you have to read this poem now. Oh, um, <laughs> I thought I was just going to tease y'all. Like. No. <laughs> um, but I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Podcast, no more poems. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, though, what you're saying, of like not maybe directly inspired, but, you know, like, yeah, if this is a if her work's been with you for a while, like that's going to have a lingering effect and find its way into your work in ways that sometimes you can't even communicate or notice. You're mm-hmm. just like, oh, there it is. There it is. Oop, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good callback. Right. You know what? It's in here for. Well, I guess I can I can read this poem that is in my chat book. Uh, I know we actually, would appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, this is from my chat book, the, the second one, you know, part two. You're the scapegoat. This is a poem that is called Some Covenant. It was published mm-hmm. a few years ago in Glass Poetry. Um, and I knew kind of, again, when I was putting together this manuscript that I knew it was going to kind of be in kind of like in the manuscript mm-hmm. is like one of the focal i guess points or like literally i think it's like the exactly according to the manuscript like right in the middle of it mm-hmm. so i think that kind of makes sense for what it is so i will go ahead and stop teasing y'all and read this poem. all right yeah some covenant i can give you a kind of kindness but that's about it you're old enough to admit I'll likely die before you. Please don't worry. There's a surplus of living and big G dash little D won't take it back. A punishment for being, I know. I've attempted almost everything on earth and you're sad. One small state of self collapsing, myself collapsing. Here, yes, here I consume to stay consumed. I will form down another, our prayers unfaithful of space you ask me what does this all mean what are you even saying and it means you are better than this world my own world the slanted world without a plot 
forgive me. I can't repair any beginning. This inheritance damns us, remembers. <laughs> That's so also you, a poem. You can kind of hear sounds of really good. Also a poem. Kind of hear it. Oof. I can hear the echoes. Yeah, I can hear the influence. Oh, uh, but forgive me. I'm just like whenever I'm like now right. when I write a poem and I'm like, oh shit, is this Porska? Is this <laughs> forgive me every time? I'm like, Ugh. I'm sorry. It was just so good. Vislava, forgive me. Uh, forgive me, Vislava, for bringing your words into mine. <laughs> That's part of the thing, you know, the being yeah. upon the being a poet thing. The constellation of the poet leads to the poet leads to the poet. You know, you're just yeah. What's about them? What's <laughs> the deal with that? I mean, we're we're trying to figure it out like every day, yeah. and coming yeah. no closer to understanding. Yeah. Um, we're all we're all writing towards that singularity, right? Right. Which <laughs> is writing which towards I... the Borg assimilation. <laughs> oh, you knew I was going to say something Star Trek. We've been waiting. I've been waiting to bring that in. <laughs> Writing towards the Borg assimilation. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, I read this really sad, imp- powerful, impactful poem, and then I was just like, but what about the Borg? That's kind of the vibe of this whole podcast is to um, just be really serious and then fucking stop and talk about Star Trek for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh. I like the I like the part about uh, prayer, prayerfulness. I I do think as you know as we we're talking about writing towards the Borg. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, this is serious guys, come on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know I, I I don't you know you know I used to pray a whole lot. I'm not tremendously religious anymore, um, but I do you know I uh, you know I, I write a lot and I. I uh, you know, recently restarted there. I keep saying recently, it was like months ago that I restarted therapy. And I feel like that's almost a form of prayer where you're like, mm-hmm. you're talking to someone, you know, talking to someone or at some sort of being or in writing's case, void that, you know, will listen, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Thank you. It's a, it was a poem that took a, a took a long time to kind of become what it is, and I'm mm-hmm. glad that it's going to be part of a, a book that really speaks to other things. But yeah, it's it's all. I remember. I guess we can talk about this because it's you know in the podcast or whatever in those notes you gave me, <laughs> cheat sheet, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I wrote it initially kind of like for my sister recently Mm. and I'm the older of two so kind of talking about the things we kind of take on for other siblings like even if you're not like the oldest which I am you know (laughs) (laughs) it's so difficult out here for these these eldest siblings you know babies wouldn't understand it (laughs) we do so much for you guys now (laughs) But, you know, it's kind of true, just like the reality of the the kind of promises that you want to keep or make for your family members and kind of having to bear the brunt of that. And, of oh, course, yeah. just like, you know, here's the hashtag Judaism part of it, um, just like that, again, that promise that kind of like the breaking of it and not sure how faith kind of plays into things and just do the personal things that have happened regarding faith and whatever and just like mm-hmm. again family relationships so you know it's it's definitely one of my more like heavy personal works but i also really like it a lot and of course it's so funny story the the you asked me what this what does this all mean like my sibling said something exactly to that tune i think you know my mom and my sibling attended one of my undergrad poetry readings and i will never forget like my my sibling was like what? My big existential okay. crisis lately is my three-year-old will come up to me, and I'll be, you know, I'll be working or I'll be doing something or you know what, what I'll, I'll even just be reading on my phone, and he'll just be like, "Dada, 
what are you doing? And he says it just <laughs> like that. And I'm uh, like, well, now oof. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get like cast into this existential like spiral. And you're like, what am I doing? Right, exactly. <laughs> No, no, no. My, my, my sister is actually very smart. They're just, I remember just them saying something along those lines and it's, it, it, it's more funny to me to include it in a poem, but then like twist it and be like, oh yeah, what does it all mean? It means you're better than me. (laughs) I suck as the older sister, you know, like you're, you're going to be, you, you're getting something that I couldn't do. So that's kind of like the, that twist where it's like, just kidding. Like, it's actually very sweet, but kind of sad. Right, right. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like a poetry jackass, you know? You kind of like... <laughs> Excuse me? I'm sorry. I'm not sure I followed this. You go in thinking you're just going in for some nut kicks and you kicking the nuts and you're just like, oh, what are my feelings? <laughs> I just broke the podcast. Yeah, I'm imagining you have to write a sonnet while a tennis ball machine like shoots tennis balls at your balls. Oh <laughs> you imagine Johnny Knoxville just like reciting like a falcon cannot hear the falconer. Like, <laughs> but he's snorting wasabi while he's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what grad school was like. Oh. <laughs> oh Johnny Knoxville has to read, um, what's a long poem but not too long a poem? Oh, Johnny Knoxville... Was- but that second coming was so good. Hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville, turning and turning in the winding gyre. <laughs> it just jumps off the building. <laughs> the rag and bone shop of the heart. <laughs> like, just absolutely. Johnny Knoxville has to read like a 40 line poem while the rest of the crew like dances around him, hitting him with sticks. <laughs> God. I'm sorry, how did we get here? It doesn't matter, Bob. <laughs> No, I said because it was all because I included a line like that my sibling has said in real life. Like, what does this uh, all mean? What are you even right, saying? Right. And then like having like that twist that, you know, hashtag Volta being like that you're better than what I do. So, yeah. So would you say to, 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 to formally move on to the next segment, would you say that's the yeah. move or is there a different move? I would say that's kind of like I intended when I when I remember drafting this poem and like I knew kind of towards the end of like writing that poem that that was going to be like the twist. Right. Yeah. Right. Everything in that poem was leading up to like, you know, the admittance, the like reality that as the older sibling, I'm going to die before likely die before them. Right. Not like, you know, mental health wise, I wasn't in the best shape and just like, trying to write it out and then just this passing I, I really like poems that like kind of pass the torch to another mm. like oh I like that yeah. yeah and that's what I was kind of working towards and you know funny enough this poem kind of came together pretty like, I didn't have to write it you know 8,000 times like right poems, yeah so. interesting because I was gonna say as I was reading this this to me a lot of your work I can feel the like oh, this has been chipped away at and like formed into this, you know, there's this sense of like care in your work um, that it isn't just like flippant. Yeah. Um, It's something I really appreciate about your work. Um, So that is interesting to hear of like, I'm sure. And it's for everybody. Sometimes it just like kind of comes out. I mean, I still worked on it. It definitely, I think it was a poem I started in grad school for sure. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of like became the form that it was. Right. Um, Right. Um, you were kind of doing this, but it is, I think, how I wanted us to to move within the context of the poem. Um, so this is in the middle of the new chapbook, "You're the Scapegoat," coming out probably by the time this podcast is out. Um, can you uh, tell us a little bit more about the chapbook? Oh Lord! So <laughs> it is, in a way, I don't because it, it kind of stemmed from like my grad school thesis project. We should never mm-hmm. see the light of day ever. It should just stay in the university library hidden somewhere behind like all the other weird bound grad school thesis books. Right. Like no one should 
read it. it I cringe thinking about it. But um, a lot of those poems I wrote, and then I kind of it, I kind of continued writing some similar poems, and then I was like, maybe I should return to some of these poems and start thinking about like a full length collection. And then I realized that's a lot of work. How about I just do another chapbook? <laughs> <laughs> Not saying that a chapbook is any less work, but just. And I think a lot of it is just me being kind of disillusioned with like a lot of like first poetry book prizes, like full length mm-hmm. collection. The whole industry is kind of like very, I got very burned out on like submitting sure. right. work by this time. Right. And so I kind of just put this together and I wanted to combine poems that I'd written over the years um, as well as just, you know, thinking about, what I'm writing towards and kind of the themes that I didn't talk about in my first chapbook. Like my first chapbook, there was like really not much about religion. There wasn't much about like family, you know, bad anatomy was a a lot about like mental, physical, Mm -hmm. emotional kind of landscape, I guess I would describe. And your escape of goat is really that like digging into some topics that I've been kind of dreading, like publishing and writing for years, you know? Sure. Like, you know, having family dysfunction, like dysfunctional family members and like trauma of like just really <laughs> poor parenting <laughs> or not mm-hmm. parenting. I say a parent. Mm-hmm. My mom's going to listen to this and be like, I thought I was a good mom. You know, <laughs> she is. She's a great mom. But, you know, just having like one parent be very like not good to you. And then like, mm-hmm. again, being a woman you know just there's some there's a poem in here that i took like the the words of like you know when you're on twitter and there's like all these like random male presenting bots that are like john's richmond smith you know i love (laughs) my wife family god you know military so like a lot of the poems also like i also wanted to like have more humor i guess and how Mm. i approach things Mm -hmm. like there are some pretty like dark darkly humorous kind of you know phrases like i i just didn't want this to be all like sad dad jew poems you know (laughs) like unfortunately i'm very much like that's kind of my my brand is hashtag sad dad jew poems but there's other there's there's you know other things mixed in there being a woman being like a child you know mixed religious heritage like how do you Mm -hmm. kind of you know just other things, some pop culture. Um, yeah. But, you know, Hell just yeah. wanted to do all that. Do all that. Do yeah, all I'm going to do all yeah. of that. I'm gonna, <laughs> this is poetry jackass. We're going to do all of that. <laughs> um, I had this thought, I guess kind of early as you were talking about chapbooks. Um, I feel like you recently tweeted about uh, full-length poetry books being too long. Yeah, and I stand by that. I'm fully with you on this. I don't, I don't cancel me, cancel <laughs> culture industry, you know. I'm in the I'm 60 right. to 70 pages range is what I like. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I feel like you can pull out, I don't know, uh, like prize winning books from like 50s through 70s. And they were 54 pages. Yeah, because it was and, all on a typewriter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and I absolutely I have one in particular. Um, you know, a poet friend I know who book was published, pretty cool press. You know, did pretty okay. And I just look at it and I go like, "There's two collections in here. Why is it 120 yeah. pages? You know, like it it feels like blowing so much of your poems on one book, and and, and I, also it's harder to stick with it. You know, I think yeah, a lot it's of harder. Times, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. God, Go ahead, I'm interrupting Dan, yeah. y'all on a podcast. So rude of me. <laughs> so why women shouldn't be on podcasts, personally. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm, jo- I'm joking. Please don't. <laughs> well, you're an honorary sad dad Jew tonight. So, yeah, you know. I, am. <laughs> I am. But yeah, I think a lot of times part of that is I do think the industry is that push for like the debut mm, collection. Right. right? That you want it as much stuff in there so that way people can like take it more seriously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anything over like a hundred pages to me, I'm just like, really? Like, you know, there's gotta be, there's some filler arcs. It's like some anime. Like there's some filler arcs. You don't really need some of these episodes. Like, I guess they're nice, you know? But no, that that's, I don't want to insult anybody with collections like that. I just, to me, 
I think it's it's kind of like the argument for short stories. It's like in a way, it's a lot harder to craft a short story because you really have to work with like the constraint of form, and you can't have like all these A, B, C plots and like sub characters or whatever. And it's kind of like that. I feel like with poetry chat books, like you have, it's like more concise. You can kind of explore two, three themes max, and right, you know, like. I don't know, I just, I feel like also chapbooks kind of exist in this weird area in, like, publishing and, and hashtag Pobiz, <laughs> trademark, <laughs> right. where it's, like, you don't really get, like, a lot of, like, accolades, you know, with very few exceptions, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, I think of Portrait of the Alcoholic by Kaba Akbar, which is an amazing, amazing chapbook, and definitely, I think, got a lot of, like, press and I don't know if it won like awards. I'm sure it got a like recognition. You know, sibling, mm-hmm. sibling rivalry put out some really great, yeah, really great stuff. Um, but you know, just like in general, like chat books, they're not really seen as like the debut mm-hmm. of a right. for the most mm-hmm. part. So and the full length exist- version of that book is like 9,200 9, pages, I think. Right. <laughs> like it, uh, calling a wolf a wolf is an amazing. Or calling a wolf a wolf. Yeah. That's what it is. That's don't get me wrong. It, that is like one of my favorite collections. I, I yeah, also it's I awesome. Yeah, finding a poem. But yeah, just like chapbooks deserve just as much of attention. And I don't know. I think working with that, knowing that I had like I'd rather have twenty good poems than like mm. sixty poems and thirty of them be good. Like mm-hmm. that's just my yeah. Opinion. Yeah. I feel the same way about music for sure. Like. I hate double albums, but like, <laughs> um, like all my albums are eight songs long. Yeah, because uh, again, I'm you're working with it. you're working with the constraint, and you want to like, you know, the form and wanting something to be more memorable in a shorter, more compact, like, and I don't want to say digestible because I don't want to be like, uh, my poetry is digestible, you know, but. <laughs> But more like a like a very heavy hors d'oeuvre, you know. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> sometimes that's better than like a six meat, you know, course meal or what. I don't know. I'm not rich. I don't know what rich people do, but <laughs> like I literally take hors d'oeuvres from work. Like I will bring home the crackers and the cheese from like work parties because I'm like, this is free food for me. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how I feel about poetry. <laughs> bring on the free food. <laughs> Uh, this poem is so digestible right now. <laughs> Just... Speaking oh of God. things that are digestible, that dovetails nicely into my next question. Okay. We're hungry. <laughs> so yeah, now is normally when we ask a uh, basketball question, but Hannah, if memory serves, you're uh, not the biggest basketball head out there. Am I right? No. And funny <laughs> joke, funny funny story. Uh, I I was talking to my, my boyfriend before this, and I'm like, he's like, well, if you can just message me if they ask you questions about basketball. Like, like a, you know, like, like phone a friend, you know? <laughs> my boyfriend. Such a, such a heterosexual thing of me to be like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like Space Jam. That counts as basketball. I love that Space Jam. Basketball. Extra counts as basketball. I watched Space Jam months ago when I uh, with with my boyfriend James, and I forgot, like honestly, how weirdly timely and good it still is. Like, it still <laughs> is, yeah. Still is. I mean, I'm like, there's a deeper anti-capitalist message to this movie, and they just yes, didn't push yes, it. They didn't yes. push it enough, and I'm like, huh. You know, workers' rights. You know, being forced to play basketball for the amusement of other, like, of consumers. I'm like, huh. Yeah. And then some things didn't age as well, but that's fine. We that's that's fine. You know. Right. That's a perfect well, movie. Said... No notes. <laughs> ten out of ten. <laughs> ten out of ten. No notes. Totally agree. <laughs> Totally agree. That's my um, knowledge of basketball. I was I was asking like apparently and of course I think what's interesting in that is like Michael Jordan. I think he's very interesting. The ultimate as capitalist. A person. <laughs> <laughs> but like apparently what his his father passed away like his father before. was murdered. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the movie takes a weird amount of his like real life into that's, the plot. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that was interestingly like you know like fascinating to think about like this movie we made and like right in that weird like pivot in his life so mm-hmm. like i guess i can speak to that so like yeah i love space jam it's my favorite sports movie <laughs> forget remember the titans forget uh 
Oh, what's the other? What's the other sports movie that people like? There have only three. been three. You're three. right. That's only been three <laughs> sports movies. Well, I was I was gonna say digestible is a perfect segue, and I'm nailing the segue because I was gonna I ask love a segue. you about my second favorite thing in the world. Um, and you can correct me if I'm misremembering this, but I believe you once called yourself the Burger Poet. Yes. <laughs> Oh man, that's a throwback. So, Funny enough, I ate a burger today, so that's. Not- <laughs> I was gonna say, I hope you're not vegetarian now. <laughs> no, no, um, I, I definitely, I don't think I'd ever give up, like chicken, to be honest. But yeah, I love burgers. I, I, I'm actually where I live. I'm within walking distance of one of the best greasy dives in town. Like I can literally walk yeah. up the street, like take less than half a block and I'm right. And it's like, you know, this place is good because they only accept cash. Like oh, this place yeah, has yeah. been in business mm-hmm. for like 50 years and they still only take cash. And I'm like, yeah. I respect that. That's, That's how, how you know, know it's good. good. So what's they your, haven't been okay. gentrified, you know? What's your top three? <laughs> and it can be either like type, you know, like smashed or pub style, or it can be brand or it can be or... whatever. What's your top three burgers? That's the question. <laughs> God. Okay, that's such a good question. So, one of my fa- the all time favorite burger where I where I live it's where I live. Uh, there's a restaurant called the Cavalier, and I do think they serve one of the best burgers. It's like the lettuce is always crisp. The yeah. bacon they are very generous with the bacon. I always get a cheeseburger with like double the bacon, lettuce, mayo, and like the the bun has like what that that uh, stuff on it, like the sourdough sesame seeds. You know, oh, wait, sourdough. Things. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Oh, <laughs> I don't okay. know what bread is. Sourdough. Passover tomorrow. I can't be thinking about bread. <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair enough. Unbaked bread only. Um, I also I think a good burger should be like there's got to be a ratio, right? You've got to yeah. have like the meat, the cheese, whatever sauce. You know, I like mayo on a burger, but I'll yeah. accept like sauce. You know, like a big like. Actually, my second favorite burger is the Big Mac from McDonald's. <laughs> That's Fucking you know what solid love. choice. It, it it is such a comfort food. Like to order it like ten o'clock at night with a yeah. giant Coke, <laughs> with the fries, and it's like just I eat it like and it's again one of those very few burgers that I'll eat with pickles. I don't I don't usually like pickles on a burger, but I feel like if you order a Big Mac without pickles, like God will come down and you know it's just like <laughs> no stop it. <laughs> Yeah, like don't. That is like sacrilege. My only complaint about the Big Mac is the middle bun. I don't like the middle bun. Everything else is perfect. I think I think if I made like a homemade version of a Big Mac, it would be better, like both calorie, like health wise and like crunchier. But at the same time, I'm like I'm not eating a Big Mac for like my health. I'm eating it right. No, no, no. That's like my second. That's like my second favorite burger. And then like my third favorite burger. Oh God. Um. Like, I have a forming grill now, so I can make my own hamburgers. I'm, like, fancy now, you know, fancy living here in my apartment. So I will make my own burgers, and, oh, it's satisfying to be like, oh, I can actually, like, do this, and it doesn't cost me any money? What? Yeah, it's pretty easy, actually. Even I I don't even mind a frozen burger at home. I'll I'll make a frozen Mm -hmm. burger at home and just dress it up. I love, yeah, I'll, uh, I usually season it with, like, garlic and... Yeah, yeah. I'm very simple when it comes to like burger meat. I don't usually like to overdo it on seasonings, but no, yeah, no, so no, that would be my top three. So the Cav Cavalier is legendary, Big Mac, fast food legend, of course, and then uh, any burger I make at home on my Foreman Grill. Hashtag Foreman Grill life. Foreman yeah. Grill girl. Foreman Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Foreman Girl. This podcast was presented to you by George Foreman Grill. <laughs> Please, please let me be the burger, the actual burger laureate <laughs> of all burgers. Not just one burger, but every burger. If yeah, Bob I still can, eat them. If Bob can get, get, get Dunkin' Donuts, you can get McDonald's. Oh my god, that's right. As the laureate. Dude, I was pissed when I found out that there's a Waffle House laureate, like Poet Laureate, and it's What? Me. Yeah. What? what? Oh my god. Yeah, my, my oh, fourth favorite burger is actually just Waffle House. <laughs> Waffle House has a great burger. Great burger, Dude. great patty melt. Oh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Waffle House is just legendary. Waho is mm-hmm. a church. I love that place so much. I yeah. love Waffle And like, uh, I could talk about Waffle House forever. I want to incorporate Waffle House into a poem or an essay at some point because it's just uh, so good. But yeah. It's so good. It's such a great place. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I, I already Googled. I'm so deep into this Waffle House Poet Laureate. Excuse me. <laughs> not me i'm pissed <laughs> a travesty uh we're gonna have to do something about this yeah, not, how do you get happy. it do i need to write a letter to somebody like <laughs> I, don't I mean so far tweeting at dunkin donuts has not gotten me anything but uh i do regularly tweet at that <laughs> but you know what i can take comfort in and we were talking about this off air is that at least tommy Wiseau has acknowledged and has liked my poem <laughs> There you go. There you go. Yeah, like, that's, that is that's something you... the institution cannot cannot give you is is legendary, wise, talented auteur of film Tommy Wiseau liked the poem that I wrote about him, and I am just happy with that knowledge. <laughs> yes, and Morska's you know over here wouldn't you know won the fucking Nobel Prize, and I'm like, <laughs> um, have you heard of Tommy Wiseau? You know of the room. <laughs> And best fiends with our like friends, but fiends because it's a joke. I don't know. He's pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100. percent Yeah, that's my um, that's my that's my brand. Please notice me, Tommy Wiseau. I feel like you left that out of the bio. <laughs> you know, Tommy Wiseau liked my poem. It should be like on my social. I think it was on my social media bios for a while. It's like Tommy right. Wiseau liked my poem once. <laughs> But I, you know, I try not to be too weird with bios. Sometimes, like, I'll read, like, writer bios, and I'm just like, okay, you're trying too hard to mm-hmm. be social yeah. media branding relatable. <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast topic. I mean, that goes, about that. Yeah. I mean yeah. that goes right back into what you were saying about uh, how much easier it must have been to po- be a poet 200 years ago. Um, yeah. When, when you didn't have to write a bio. <laughs> you didn't have submittable. You just <laughs> Imagine uh, what's it? Lyrical ballads and submittable. Like. <laughs> Ye old uh, submittable with like two e's. Oh man! Uh, pages costs, and pages of rejection. Costs five pence to submit. <laughs> I don't know. Five pence. I don't have five pence. What? No. Do y'all remember that tweet that was like? The, the one where it's like Joe from Little Woman who won like $100 for like a short story being like, and it goes to remind you that in a hundred or so years since Little Woman's published, like the rate for like paying, like paying for publication still hasn't changed since the Reconstruction era. I think about that tweet far more than <laughs> yeah. I should because I'm just like, $100? I've never even been paid $100 for a poem. <laughs> like, right, right. No. Like, oh my uh, goodness. Also, imagine a short you could story live is... off of like twenty dollars back then like two hundred yeah. years ago twenty dollars you were set for life a hundred dollars back so then is very different than a hundred dollars now <laughs> especially well, for I mean, a short even, story versus a novel yeah mm. you can't even like you could of course you could live off of twenty dollars because you died at 27 like he, <laughs> you know like you think you think he was he'd be writing the same poems if you were 40 i don't think so buddy <laughs> He had his ca- oh. he had his checks cashed out. <laughs> He's yeah. like, I got tuberculosis. <laughs> Gonna write some great poems, and I'm out of here. No, Damn. that's flattening his legacy, and that's not to say that every poet who dies young is doing that to, for the brand. But <laughs> certainly, certainly felt that way back then. <laughs> certainly, a bunch of them. <laughs> oh my goodness! Once again, how did we get here? We were talking about burgers. <laughs> yeah. You know, if a Victorian poet ate a burger, I'm pretty sure he would kill them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Keats would actually be like, instead of writing about this nightingale, I will write about this fucking Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> or a Whopper, or whatever other fast food burgers that are that pale in comparison to McDonald's. I'm sorry. Poe, just Edgar Allan Poe, just like dumping out an empty fry container. Like... <laughs> The tall tell fries never more. <laughs> wow. Okay. The knock, the knock knock knocking on his door, but it's just a door dash guy. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
hey, McSweeney's, you take a note of this? I'm going <laughs> yeah. free content right here. <laughs> yeah, actually, oh, let's yeah. not publish this to McSweeney's or not uh, let McSweeney's show this and just. Well, well, this comes out in a couple of weeks. We'll just write the article, send it to him before we can see it. Right. To, to Mr. McSweeney himself. <laughs> I assume that's who it's all addressed to, just like actual McSweeney. Yeah. No, it's it's, it's Tim himself answering the uh, answering oh, emails. Yeah, Timothy. Um, yeah. Goodness gracious. <laughs> all right. Well, this let's, let's, let's sign off before this gets too off the rails. This was too fun. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for being here. What a yeah, delight. Sure. Thank y'all. It's what so it's so great to finally have a hopefully this audio doesn't get. Hey everyone. Chris here from the future. I did manage to lose the audio where I credited our artist, AM Strickland, and our music producer, Brennan Johnson. And we all said goodbye. So there was an audio glitch, but obviously still a podcast. We will just leave you with this. I do actually, despite me complaining about poetry half the time, I do like poetry. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> we all do here. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't complain about something you don't like. Yeah. There we go.